pray with me as you grab a seat here this morning? Lord God, I just thank you for this place. God, I thank you for this church. I thank you for this family, Lord. God, I thank you that you did come and you overcame. You overcame any sin that would bind us down. You overcame any hurt or fear or power of the enemy in our life, Lord. God, I just pray that your Holy Spirit would fill this place. God, I pray that you would open our hearts and our minds to your word. God, I pray that it will be your words that are spoken here this morning and not mine. It's your son's name we all pray. And all God's people said, amen. Well, good morning, church. It's my prayer that uh, this past Memorial Day weekend that all of you uh, had a great, great weekend. That you found a time of rest that hopefully you were able to connect with some family or some friends. You found a, a place to be able to, to feel like you belonged. I know that's what happened for us uh, this past Memorial Day weekend. It was my niece's graduation party. And uh, all of our family gathered. And it was a wonderful experience because we got to see some family members that I haven't seen in a number of years. And it was really wonderful to be able to visit and connect and, and just really feel like, you know, I truly belonged. And what was even greater still was to see my two little girls uh, meet some family members they've never even met before, but yet be able to run around and have a blast and kind of annoy everybody, but still in the same way, feel like they belong, that they have a place to belong. You know, the old te- television show Cheers got one thing right in the theme song when it says, you want to go where everybody knows your name. Right, Because we all want to belong. There's something ingrained within us that wants to belong. Everybody has a longing for belonging. That's why in prison, the, the worst punishment possible is solitary confinement. Because we want to connect. We want to be connected with other people. And we want our lives to be significant too. We want to matter. We want to make a difference in this world. Now imagine belonging to a group of people that got to do this kind of thing every single day. That is what the church is intended to be. Did you know that God designed us, God hardwired us for community? God designed us to connect with other people. In fact, the Bible says you can't be a follower of Christ unless you are connected to a church family. Not because it's some kind of prerequisite to be a follower of Christ, but because walking the Christian life is so impossible to do alone. Did you know that God doesn't like aloneness? In fact, the very first thing that God said was not good. He said in Genesis chapter 2, He said, It's not good for man to be alone. Now, God created two antidotes for aloneness. The first is the physical family, which teaches us to belong to one another and to relate to others. But the second is the spiritual family, the church, which goes on and on forever and into eternity. Part of God's design for me and part of God's design for you is to belong in His family, in His church family. So I want to have a little bit of fun this morning. Would you turn to the person next to you and say, you need me? And now will you turn to the person on the other side and say to them, you need me. Okay, now that we all have our egos inflated a little bit, this morning we're going to talk about God's family, the church. 
Now, our culture, okay, and our English language, we've been misusing this word church for hundreds of years. Whenever we say church in our culture, in our English language, we tend to think of a a building or an event like Sunday morning, but that's not how this word was intended to be. In fact, the very first person to say our word church uh, was Jesus and later later used and backed up by the apostles. He said it to Peter in uh, the book of Matthew 16. Jesus said, now I say to you, I'm sorry, now that I say that you are Peter, which means rock, and upon this rock I will build my church, and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. Now when Jesus said church, he said the Greek word ecclesia, which literally translates an assembly of people for a purpose. And since he said my church, he was saying an assembly of Christ's people for a purpose. Now, when Jesus was saying this to Peter, he was telling Peter what was going to happen. He was telling him about the very first day of the very first church. We started to look at this last week. We could find this in the book of Acts, chapter 2. In the beginning of the chapter, there were about 120 believers, and they were all huddled in this room, and they were waiting. They were waiting on the Holy Spirit. Because Jesus had directed them to wait. He knew that if they went out and tried to start this thing on their own, they were just going to mess it up. So he said, you need to wait. You need to wait for the power of the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit arrived, miraculous things began to happen. And all the commotion drawed a crowd in the streets of Jerusalem. So Peter, full of the Holy Spirit now, speaks up and preaches a sermon. Let me share just a few verses with you. We'll put it on the screen. Verse 40 Then Peter continued preaching for a long time. I always want to make a joke about long sermons there. (laughs) Peter, uh, preaching for a long time, strongly urging all of his listeners, save yourselves from this crooked generation. Those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day, about 3,000 in all. So in the very first day of the very first church, It moves from 150 people to 3,000 people. That's almost three times the size of our church. What a sermon from Peter. You know, there's this phenomenon in our uh, American culture today that a a mega church is a church of 2,000 people or more. And the media likes to say that through some sort of modern day marketing or other techniques that that's how these churches grow to be so big. But do you know the Christian church has a 2,000-year history of extremely large churches? The very first church on the very first day had 3,000 people. And it continued to grow. In verse 47, it says that the Lord added to their number daily. So at the very minimum, there's 365 days in a year. So at a very minimum, there's 365 people per year being added to the church. But we see that that is is an extreme minimum. Because later, in Acts chapter 4, it says that the number of men grew to 5,000. And that's just the men. So it would be reasonable to think that the total number of people at this time will be somewhere between ten and 15,000 people in this church, including the women and children. Then in Acts 5, it said that more and more believed and a multitude was added. So this uh, this, uh, church is growing so rapidly that they even stopped counting that a multitude was added. In uh, chapter 5, verse 28, it says that some 
of the Jewish teachers came to Peter and said, You have filled all of Jerusalem with your teaching about Jesus. And I could go on and on and on throughout the book of Acts. But let's jump forward about 25 years. The book of Acts chapter 21, Paul comes back to Jerusalem to the church and discovers that tens of thousands have been added to the church. Bible scholars believe that the church at this time was at about 100,000 people. And archaeologists tell us that Jerusalem at this time was at about 200,000 people. So 50% of the population is now connected to the church family. That's what you call church growth. That's what you call church growth. Now, how did they do that? Well, we're going to try to discover that here today. You know, the only thing, the church only needs two things to be a healthy, growing church. The Holy Spirit and you. So let's start with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is God. He is not an it. He's not just a divine influence. He's not a fleecy white cloud or a concept. The Holy Spirit is God. And the Holy Spirit was there at the beginning, all the way through the Old Testament, through the Gospels, and all the way here until to now, and He's in this room today. Okay, In Genesis 1, chapter 2, the, the second verse of the Bible, it says, The Spirit of God hovered over the waters. He spoke to Job. He instructed Nehemiah to build his wall. He filled Samson with strength. He spoke through Elijah. He gave David the plans for the temple, and on and on in the Old Testament. In the Gospels, we read about him. Mark chapter 1, verse 10, it says that the Holy Spirit descended on Jesus like a dove. The Holy Spirit is the third person in the Trinity. Now, I can't explain the Trinity to you. In fact, no one can. Uh, there's a, a seminary professor, Dr. Wilbur Smith, who said this, The man who denies the Trinity will lose his soul. The man who tries to understand the Trinity will lose his mind. Okay, We try to in, uh, illustrate the concept of the Trinity, but our attempts are really inadequate. We, we might say something like, I could describe H2O as a, as a solid, as a liquid, and as a gas when it's ice, and when it's water, and when it's vapor. Or I could say that a man can be a, a father, can be a son, and can be a husband all at the same time. But these illustrations are really inadequate because we are finite people, and God is infinite. So to try to explain all the ways of God is like trying to explain the internet to an ant. Okay, It's just really impossible to do. And that's why we need the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit reveals truth to us. He is the same Holy Spirit who inspired the writers of the Scriptures. And He's the same Holy Spirit who will illuminate those meanings to you and to I. The Holy Spirit gives us power. Gives us power to live our life as God directs us to in ways we could not naturally do on our own. And in this way, the Holy Spirit helps us to grow to be more like Christ. The Holy Spirit gives us gifts to further God's kingdom here on earth. Gifts like administration, hospitality, preaching, teaching, etc. They are not gifts for our own benefit, but for God's benefit. And when we allow the Holy Spirit to guide our lives, we're going to see evidence. The Bible calls that fruit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So how do I have access to this Holy Spirit? Well, the Bible says when you begin a relationship with Jesus Christ, His Holy Spirit will take up residence within you. Acts chapter 2, verse 38, it says it this way. Peter replied, 
Each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Here's the deal, gang. The Holy Spirit is in the business of changing lives. The Holy Spirit is in the business of changing lives. He changed the lives of the apostles, the original church leaders. You know, when we first read about this group of guys, they were a group of young, uneducated guys who were lazy and unmotivated. They argued about everything all the time. And their two favorite arguments were which one of them was greater and what, when, and where are they going to eat some food. That's what these guys talked about all the time. Looks like my life before the Holy Spirit too. But after the Holy Spirit comes, check it out. These guys ran an organization that had 3,000 people on the first day and rapidly grew to more than 10,000 people in the first year. They organized hundreds and hundreds of small groups that met in homes. They operated various programs and ministries to help the poor, feed the widows, and have church meals together. And they spread the word of Christ like wildfire all across the world to at least 50% of the population of Jerusalem. And then they sent out mission trips and apostles to start churches all over the known world. These guys were organized, missional, and they had purpose. And we specifically see how the Holy Spirit changes lives in the life of Peter. You know, before the Holy Spirit, Peter was always putting his foot in his mouth. He was always saying something stupid, and he was always having to be reined in by Christ. And his actions followed suit. You know, acting before thinking, often in opposite ways that Christ was teaching. Peter is often remembered as being paralyzed by fear. Because when they took Jesus to be crucified, he was afraid, he lied, And he denied that he even knew him on three separate occasions. But after the Holy Spirit, only about two months after Christ had been crucified, Peter is in the same town with the same groupings of people, more than 3,000 of them, and filled with the Holy Spirit, he stands up and preaches a sermon where 3,000 of them come to Christ and are baptized and join the church family. The Holy Spirit changes culture too. You know, Jerusalem was under the rule of the Roman Empire. It was the biggest empire the world has ever seen, still to this day. It spanned from England all the way to India. And it was a massive military machine that went into new lands after new lands, conquering everything in sight. It was run by a group of emperors known as the Caesars. And the Roman people would share two lines of propaganda to promote Caesar's power. They're going to sound familiar to you. They would say, there is no name under heaven by which you can be saved other than the name of Caesar. And in in short, they would say, Caesar is Lord. So this massive military machine would march into your province and go to your province leaders and say, confess Caesar is Lord. And if you said, yeah, okay, well then they took up camp in your town. Your province would become part of the Roman Empire. You'd pay them taxes. You'd be governed under their laws. And your men would fight with them to expand the empire. But if you said, no, Caesar's not Lord, they would take your leaders and they had what they called an execution stake. They stole it from the Persians, but they perfected it. They found a way to keep a man in the most pain humanly possible without dying. And so they would take your town leaders and they would crucify you right in front of the town gates where everybody can see what would happen if you defied Caesar. In the town of Magdala, where Mary Magdalene uh, was from, 
they found that over 3,000 people had been crucified. So Jerusalem, these people, they have seen mass executions for those that defied Caesar. Yet, the Holy Spirit comes and this massive group of people begin to meet in temple courts and in homes. And with no fear of the Roman Empire, they began to declare that there is no name under heaven in which you can be saved except the name of Jesus Christ. And they would declare that Jesus is Lord. Now, many in this group of people, they knew the fear of the Roman Empire. They knew it so well that they used it and manipulated it in order to have Jesus crucified in the first place. But now, many who are in this group are now declaring that Jesus Christ has been resurrected, that He was raised from the dead, and that He is Lord. Now, here's the big thing. Okay, You've got a whole society an entire grouping of people that don't believe in the resurrection. And then all of a sudden, tens of thousands of people suddenly start believing in the resurrection. That doesn't happen in human history. right? Large numbers of people don't suddenly start believing in something different. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit changes lives. So a healthy, growing church needs two things, the Holy Spirit and you. Let's see where you fit in. You might say, Doug, that's great, but where do I fit in? Well, the end of Acts chapter 2 outlines the purpose of the church. These five purposes outline five ways we are to be connected to God's family. You can use them this morning as a checklist on how to be connected here in our church family. Here's the first one. Number one, they studied the Bible together. Okay, verse 42 says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings. Now, this may seem like a no-brainer. God's Word is the number one way God reveals Himself to His people. And they studied the Bible together both corporately and in small groups. You know, personal study is great and important, but something happens when we study the Bible together. God wired it so that when you help other people grow, God helps you grow. You know, you never grow faster than uh, when you're in fellowship with other believers and encouraging each other's commitment to following Jesus Christ. So the first thing they did was they studied the Bible together. Here's the second thing they did. They devoted themselves to community with each other. Verse 42 says, not only did they devote themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Do you meet with the people of your church outside the walls of the church, outside of Sunday mornings. You know, the church isn't about rules and rituals or religion. The church is about relationships. Relationships with God and relationships with each other. All throughout the book of Acts, the unity of the believers is highlighted. The big word here is harmony. Now, harmony doesn't mean that we're all the same. It means that our differences complement each other. I like to think of it as a symphony. You know, you go to hear a symphony to hear how all the instruments complement each other. Not to hear some guy stand up on a chair with a clarinet blaring for everybody, right? You go to hear the harmony, right? You know, the Bible says that we ought to get along with one another. Ephesians 4.3 says, Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. Now, there's a couple of ways to get connected 
to God's family here at Christ Church. The first way is to get connected in a small group. And the second is like it, to get connected in a ministry team, which is a place to serve. In other words, it's a small group on mission. You know, we have hundreds of places to serve. We've got the children's ministry, the cafe, urban impact, men's ministry, college-age ministry, women's ministry, youth ministry. I've got to stop because I'm going to leave many out. We have so many places to serve. It would be really easy for me to stand up here and highlight the high school ministry, which is my area, and tell you we need people because we do. But who I want to plug this morning is Robbie and the middle school ministry. You know, the middle school ministry, God is blessing so much, and there's so much going on, and there's so many kids coming that he doesn't have enough adults to be able to make it happen. At the first service, he he was gone during the sermon because he had to run downstairs to make it happen. Right? We need people just as you need the church. Now, if you're looking for a way to connect in one of these places, on the back of your bulletins, there's a a woman by the name of Nancy Kramer. She's the head of our Connections Ministry. She does a wonderful job. Her job is to help connect people in God's family. So I'd encourage encourage you to give her a call. Maybe visit her outside in the commons. She's always walking around. Or or, uh, call the church office or send her an email. But what did this first fellowship do? Well, they studied the Bible. They prayed for each other. You know, we're to care about people so much that we go to the creator of the universe for each other's needs and say, God, would you help this person? But I love what else they did. They ate food together. Okay? Everybody's got to eat. And so what a great excuse it is to get together than to get together over dinner. Maybe God's given you the gift of hospitality. You could go to somebody after church and say, hey, would you come over to my house for dinner? Maybe you don't have the gift of hospitality like me, so you can meet at Olive Garden instead. But they met over a meal together. You know, most of Jesus' teachings was done over a meal. This first church, they devoted themselves to community with each other. Here's the third thing. They helped each other in practical ways. Verse 45 says, They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. You know, that's what being part of a community is all about. You help each other. You say, yeah, you can borrow my lawnmower. Or if you need someone to watch your kids, I'll be there. Not, not me particularly, but I'll be there. You need a job reference, right? You need someone to take care of the sick. You need a, a ride to the airport. Okay, this is what families do for one another. They helped each other because they were a family. Here's the fourth thing. They worship together. Verse 46 says, Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God. So where did they worship? Well, corporately, they worshipped in the temple courts. And they also worshipped in small groups in people's homes. You know, the very first church didn't have a building. In fact, for hundreds of years, the church didn't have a building. For their large group gatherings, they would go to these temple courts uh, Because, well, first of all, they weren't allowed in the temple. And second, the building wouldn't hold them, wouldn't hold as many people as there were. So they would meet in these temple courts. And it had this really great uh, side effect, this really great side marketing scheme that everybody in Jerusalem would have to walk through this massive church of tens of thousands of people in order to get to the temple. And they also worshiped together in small groups in people's homes. Now, this idea of small groups is not a new idea. 
Somewhere around, I want to say around the 50s, you know, the, the church started to build these large buildings with all these classrooms so that everybody could come and meet there. But what was happening was everybody was coming and meeting in these classrooms that were only used once a week. It was really a, a poor form of stewardship. Small groups is part of our DNA. It's part of the very fabric of the, of the church. And we urge you to join a small group, not because, um, not because it's just something else we're trying to get you to do, but because it's part of our very DNA as a church. Here's the fifth and final thing. They invited others to church. Verse 47, it says, And the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. You know, they told people about Jesus. They invited others to their groups. And the Lord added to their number daily. Now, the first church, there are two parties, the Holy Spirit and the people. And concerning unbelievers, each party had a job. The Holy Spirit had a job. Jesus says it in John 16, verse 8. And when He comes, that's the Holy Spirit, He will convict the world of its sin and of God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. The Holy Spirit's job is to help people understand their selfish way of living is wrong and that God's design for our life is right and that someday we'll be judged on whether we chose God's way or the world's way. That's the Holy Spirit's job. Now, I don't know about you, but I have to ask myself about how many times I'm trying to do the Holy Spirit's job. That's not my job. Here's your job, here's my job, to be a witness. Jesus says to this, uh, right before this very first church started, to his leaders, Acts 1, verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Right? Our job is to be a witness. Think of a courtroom. We're not the judge, we're not the jury, we're not the executioner. We're to be witnesses. You know, a witness takes the stand and they say, you know, well, I saw it go down like this and I heard things said like that. And we say, you know, we testify to the way that God has worked in our life and the way that God is working in the lives of our church family. A couple of weeks ago, uh, we, we had a really great event in the high school ministry. We, we threw a, a graduation party for all the seniors that have been uh, coming and been a part of our youth ministry, some, many for, for years. And, uh, and it was just wonderful. We, we lined them up, and we gave them an opportunity to testify, to, to share how God has worked in their life to the rest of the group. And I received an amazing gift that day. It wasn't intended to be a gift for me, but I heard a story. And it was from a, a girl who just started coming her senior year this past year. And she, she just fit right in. She became part of the family. And she's been with us for this entire year. And, and she shared with the group, kind of emotional with tears in her eyes, she said, don't ever change. She said, because I've been trying a lot of different youth groups. I've tried a lot of different places to fit in and belong. And I just felt judged. I didn't feel accepted. I didn't feel like I fit in with the clique. And she said, but it's not that way here that you're a family, that no matter who you are, you get to belong and feel connected. And i got to tell you, that felt good. It felt good to be a part of a church and part of a place where the Holy Spirit is moving, where we are connected to one another, where we're part of the family. So let me close by saying this. Let's say that you were part of this very first church in Jerusalem. And let's say that you had a friend and you said to this friend, why don't you come on Thursday night? We're all meeting at this guy's home, this church, and I'd like for you to come and check it out. So you invite this friend to come, and when he comes, 
He sees a, a group of people gathering together around the table of all different walks of life. Right? There was Jews, there was Romans, there was young people, there was old people, there were slaves, there were free people, and they were all gathering around this table. But before they came together for the meal, they would go around and they would make sure that all the single moms had their rent paid. They would make sure that the sick was cared for, that those who needed food got some. They would make sure that everyone's practical needs were met. They would make sure that those that had more than enough would be able to give to those that didn't have enough to survive. And they would all do this because they declared and they believed that Jesus Christ is Lord. So when you and your friend were walking home that night, you might say, who is making the world a better place? Who do you say is Lord? Caesar or Jesus? Who is Lord in your life? Are you connected in His family? I ask because we can't do this without you. And the Bible says that you can't do this without us. You know, you can't be a professional football player without being part of a team. You just can't do it. If you're a tuba player, you better be part of a band or an orchestra because I don't know too many people that like to hear a tuba solo. Okay? If you're in the army, you need to be part of a platoon. Okay, if you're a Boy Scout, you need to be part of a troop. Even the Lone Ranger had Tonto. Okay? The same goes for a follower of Christ. You need to be part of a church family. You can't do this alone. But here's a more important statement. We, the church, we need you. We need you. We cannot do this without you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, again, I just thank you for this day. I thank you for this place. God, I've worked at a lot of churches. And I'm just so thankful to be here at Christ Church. I'm just so thankful to be a part of this place, to be connected in this family. Lord God, we're not a perfect family. We're a little dysfunctional. But God, we know that your Holy Spirit is in this place and we know that by the power of the Holy Spirit... We can become more and more like you each day. God, we know that whenever you gather a group of sinful people together, there's going to be disagreements. There's going to be different ways of doing things. But the Bible says that your Holy Spirit can unite us in unity. That we are your chosen holy family. So God, I pray maybe for someone who's in this room who doesn't feel like they have a place to belong. It doesn't feel like they're connected. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would move in them, that they might meet someone today here in this place and know that this is home. We love you so much, Lord God. We pray for your Holy Spirit to guide us, to guide this church, and that we would follow. To your name we pray. Amen.